Welcome to the Fordham IPLJ podcast with your online editor, Anthony Zangrillo. Today I'm here with staff member... Christina Sauerborn. Thanks for having me. No problem. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about Halloween costumes, copyright, trademark, is your costume an infringement? Yeah. See, now I didn't even think about this. Christina <laughs> brought it to me because, you know, I got to go as my main man. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. That's you know, what you're just, going as. Just came out of nowhere when you said that. <laughs> but I'm going to go as my main man, Beetlejuice. And I didn't even think maybe I'm breaking the law by dressing up as it. Oh, man. Well, it's a... Uh, I mean, I guess it's a concern. Although, honestly, I'm not sure it's such a concern for you based on what I've read. Yes. But we'll get into the that. the question is there. <laughs> dressing up this year? I am dressing up this year, yeah. Um, I actually have, like, a real New York girl. I have a couple different costumes. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I'm going as a taco. <laughs> taco? Like an actual taco. Is there any reason for this? or just? I just wanted to. <laughs> is, it, uh, is there a combination I'm bar- I'm borrowing from a friend. No, I, it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what kind of taco it is. It's just, it's a taco. It's for real a taco. Well, you definitely <laughs> won't run into any problems with I, taco. Probably not, unless it was like, unless it was like a Taco Bell taco. I don't want to like buzz market Taco Bell, but like that's the possibility. Then we, we would maybe have an listen, issue. Listen, Taco Bell wants to sponsor us. We're all open to this. Talk to us, Taco Bell. Yeah, anytime. Get, get at the IPLJ podcast at Fordham. Exactly. <laughs> but really, as you were saying, most of the times it's not an issue. And we can look at it first from a copyright perspective. Now, the only thing it seems copyrightable in a costume is the additional something conceptually separated from the overall design because they say a costume is usually a useful article as clothing and thus is functional and not protected as a copyright. Right. So, yeah. So, the so the case law at this point uh, pretty much says because clothing, you know, it's got a utility function, it's generally not protected, but um, there's a, a lot of stuff happening with this. And I guess... The most recent case uh, on point uh, that talks about this is, I'm so going to pronounce this wrong, it's Chosen uh, v. Krishna Creations, I believe. It's a 2005 case. So like Anakin Skywalker, like the Chosen one? Yeah. Is that, okay. Gotcha. 100%. Gotcha. That's like the way it was at issue, with Anakin. <laughs> You're either with me or you <laughs> He had a he had a real problem. There was some issues going on. You know, he had a, he had a Trump problem. There's nothing wrong with that. Just, so there's a lot wrong with that. that right? There's a few. Yeah, there's some some issues. <laughs> uh, so but anyway, so the case um, was essentially two companies that were uh, the creators of children's costumes, basically. So like. There was, like, some cute stuff, like an elephant and a bee and, like, different designs. And they had this sort of sculpted, like, hood, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so Chosen um, sued Krishna because uh, they basically said they sort of, I think they said, like, slavishly copied was, like, the words they used, yes. this hood. That's a very popular term in copyright. Yeah. It comes up a lot. 
Because it's saying you haven't added any originality right. to your contribution. You just straight up copied. Exactly. I think straight from, uh, was it Feist? It was one of the first ones that used that, the phone book cases. This is for the law students out there. Non-legal community, <laughs> you could just shut this off right now and then just go forward when we start talking about our costumes again. We're coming back to that. <laughs> this is this is a law journal podcast. Yes, it is. For any subscribers out there wondering. <laughs> um, so in Chosen, essentially the court looked at the costumes and they sort of pushed aside, I think, what they really what they really wanted them to, because remember, like, in the beginning of the case, they were just trying to get, Krishna was trying to get them to dismiss it outright, just saying they had no claim, you know, you can't copyright clothing, and these are costumes, which are clothing, so they don't have anything. Um, but, so the court was like, nah, that seems like, you know, kind of not fair, because Chosen did spend some work, and if the hoods... And I was trying to find online, and I found, like, little pictures of the, their children's costumes. But the hood has got, like, some details in it. And they were essentially like, we could see how we would want to protect um, the work that they clearly did to design this and produce it and make it. Um, but we're not going to decide, like, whether you can copyright clothes. We just think, like, you should be able to sever this particular thing. If you can do that, then, like, this should probably get some protection. So for, like, the totality of the costume, they don't want to have copyright protection for that, but maybe an element here or there. Yeah. Depending on the originality. And there was another case that followed this, right, where it was doing with the Power Rangers. Now, were you a Power Rangers fan growing up? I had, you know, it's funny, I don't know, like, how many episodes I actually watched because my parents were not really of, like, the school of thought that we were, they were going to let me and my sister watch Power Rangers, but I had Power Rangers high tops, Ooh. and they were pink, and they, I think they had lights in them, too, and they were awesome. I mean, that sounds cool. Yeah. I don't know if I had high tops. I had everything else. The, all I the had other a lot stuff. Of Power Rangers, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I had all the figurines, all that stuff. In the future, on a future podcast, we will break down the Power Rangers trailer. Stay tuned. Yeah. We did it in the past, but it will be posting in the future. This is how podcasts work. <laughs> it's like a, you know, time is like a circle. Yeah. It's all... It's, yeah, exactly. It's a loop. <laughs> I don't really know how it works exactly. But going back to the case of Power Rangers. Now, Power Rangers, as we discuss in the future, they really protect their brands and anything, anybody trying to free ride off of their characters. So they said there's a copyright in the Power Rangers characters when MyPartyShirt.com is selling infringing costumes. By the way, my party shirt. My party shirt. I can imagine they're not actual costumes. I have to think they're probably not costumes. It's like one of my friends, he's going as like a T-Rex or Raptor. He's bought some have... hoodie from like H&M. Oh, man. It's not a costume. That's... You're a disgrace. That's like, oh my God. That's just like the people who, I, the people who buy those like. Dress up as a taco. You know what? <laughs> it's a legit costume. <laughs> It's got lettuce on the outside and everything. That's horrifying. That's actually very horrifying. It's no, it's great. I'm telling you, it's great. But in that case, which was unpublished, the Power Rangers decision, you could see in that case, Power Rangers, my guess here, Saban, right, was really trying to extend the copyright protection to the costume. Where it seems like here, 
because we don't have a public domain element. We have something right. that could be licensed, and my party sure just didn't want to pay the fee to the copyright holder, probably also the trademark holder. This seems more of a case for trademark law. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. With trademark coming in, you may miss your public domain costumes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think... So that's... I think that trademark works when it's clearly a specific character where the character itself is copyrightable. Like, your Beetlejuice costume would be probably copyright protected because the licensed character Beetlejuice, someone had to pay and make some agreement to say, I'm going to make costumes of Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, they marketed it as, like, old crazy guy from movie or something. They came up with some weird generic title for it. Like, have you ever seen online those costumes? Dead Batman. What? Dead Batman. Is that a costume? No, I mean, like, Michael Keaton was Batman. Beetlejuice is dead. Oh, my God. So he's dead Batman. Or he could be Birdman before Birdman. This is like... It's Inception. Yeah, you just Inceptioned the costumes. And also now, Michael Keaton's going to be in Founder, the McDonald's story. He's like the founder of McDonald's. This is his next avenue to try and get an Oscar. Oh, my God. Hey, I I thought he was robbed. I, yeah, he's, he's been, it's time. It's time. I know, Michael Douglas, you should yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was, that was a hard, I didn't know that. <laughs> Great speech, the Golden Globes. <laughs> I'm glad he was able to win something. But, um, we talk about with Beetlejuice. Now, no. I bought mine from Party City. Yes. And everybody loves Party City. Everyone loves right? Party City. You go it's there, great. We I go there, you go there, everybody goes there. Party City's going to obviously sponsor us now. But, Party what... City. If I wasn't lazy and I wanted to like make my own costume, because I really, really love Beetlejuice and I'm going like the extra mile and all this stuff, what do you think the law would say about that? If you were going to make it, I guess, you know, based on from scratch, right? So you're just yes. going to assemble some things. And I'm not going to sell it. Right. I'm just for my own personal use. Um, then that would probably be fine because I actually. I mean, does that really technically fall under fair use? I think it kind of does, right? So, I would say, when you look at, like, what the courts have said on fair use in terms of, like, the legal regime, it doesn't neatly fall into, like, commentary criticism kind of ideas, but the way the case law has developed, I think it would be protected, especially because there's no commercial element to it. Usually, all these fair use cases really fall on either... Being commercial yourself or depriving the copyright owner or copyright owner here of a commercial advantage. Exactly. So I could see an argument that, oh, this guy making his own costume is taking money away from us because we're the only ones that are allowed to make the costume. It would be a petty lawsuit. You would never go after like a fan for doing that. And really your best argument if you're going to try and come with one of these is the way you made your costume, as some cosplayers at Comic-Con, is harming our association with the copyright, which we more for trademark purposes. Right. But something along the lines of maybe like, because Power Rangers is very protective. Remember that fan film that came out where they were all like very violent and stuff like that? Yes, yeah. If somebody had, let's say, like a Power Rangers costume, but they're like maybe a zombie or undead, 
Power Ranger. Yeah. Maybe the copyright trademark holder would have a problem with it, but really it would be a frivolous lawsuit, and I doubt anyone would be able to bring anything. At the end of the day, because it's so just for personal use and your expression as a fan. Exactly, yeah, and I think that's like the thing to the end of the day, especially with Comic-Con, to think about how many people spend so much time making these costumes that are so elaborate, and it's really like a labor of love. You take the time to create these really original, like totally a lot of, in many cases, handmade, you know, things. I just think... You know, it would just be... I mean, I can't even imagine, like, the PR catastrophe it would be. Oh, definitely. For a company to be like, you know, oh, we're going to sue every person who went as Deadpool to Comic-Con. Now, because I were, don't. Like, using... I don't cosplay, but it's... Neither do I. I feel like it's in the public... Don't, like, public... Uh, public's mind. Yes. Right now. That a lot of people are doing it. A lot of people have heard about it. And, you know, when October hits before Halloween, like, Columbus Day weekend... People aren't surprised to see, you know, people walking around and stuff like that in different attire. It's just, oh, that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, kind Especially of Especially in New York. Oh, yeah. It's, just... it's probably normal on, like, a normal day, like a random day in, like, February. Yeah. You're like, not Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, you Maybe know. Maybe not Valentine's Yeah, well. You know people are going to on that day. Because, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Probably the Comic-Con people, they're not celebrating Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh, no, that's not nice. <laughs> oh, my God. We're sorry. We love Comic-Con. Comic-Con, if you're out there. Let's read Pop. Please, yeah. Read Pop is the one that runs Comic-Con. Yeah. So we got Taco Bell, Party City, Read Pop. Yes. Got, got all of them. You know, probably popular costumes this year. Obviously Deadpool. But that always was the case, even before yeah. the movie, you know, went bonkers. But... Probably Harley Quinn, Joker. Harley Quinn. You know. Yeah. You gotta listen to the first episode for my PLJ podcast, uh, why we had problems with Suicide Squad in the trailer. I know you liked that episode, right? I did. I listened. It was great. It's good. Now you have to just see Suicide Squad. I to, yeah. Well, that I think will get like contextualize a lot of it for me, because I've seen I've seen literally all of the online like buzz marketing and everything about it and as I think I was just saying for like the Joker too I mean I feel like I probably saw so many posts of Jared Leto with that crazy Joker makeup and to then find out that he was only in the movie for like how long was it it was not very long I think I don't have the actual number on me I would estimate 10 to 20 minutes or something like that um which when you think about if it's 20 minutes on, I guess it was a two-hour film. It's just, it's wrong they put him in the forefront it, yeah. of the marketing campaign. Yeah. Because I think most fans that were keeping up with it are like, oh, that makes sense, or something like that. Yeah, I could, I mean, it was like a cool image, but I, I know we're not talking about this. I just like, I feel like I could understand how people would be misled. This is a conversational podcast. Yeah. We go from topic to topic. There's no... <laughs> problems with it so now segueing back yes talk a little bit about trademark law i guess with this and one of the things you were talking about is a costume site right correct? yeah that's like just is the wild west in terms of licensing oh my god they're not following any of the procedure yeah so um the website that i really i think is a great example of this mm-hmm. is 
the popular uh, website for ladies who would like to be, shall we say, sexy costumes. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. This is... This That's where I buy my Beetlejuice costumes. <laughs> we're, keeping, we're keeping this fun for the whole family, guys. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to do anything inappropriate. But it's this website called Yandy.com. Uh, and I swear every Halloween they get attention because they do, I mean, they do a lot of stuff related to sort of pop culture and very influenced by sort of current events. Like I, I heard they think, I think they have like a Ken Bone costume on here. Oh God. That's just, that's just I'm just like, oh my God, you guys. But Write someone, a publicity, write a publicity claims there. I kind of feel like he's probably fine with it. I'm going to be totally honest. Did he come out as like, uh. This is probably not for here, but he came out with, like, very controversial views later on. He like, oh, some not-so-savory things on the internet. Now, I just want to say something. We're looking at this website right yeah. now. There's the glamour- Glamorous Wonder Lady costume. Yes. Now, you were saying it's uh, supposed to be of an adult nature, these costumes. Well, now, I'm just looking at this. That seems more conservative. Than the actual Wonder Woman costume. Oh, I know, right? So I don't understand. It's just too because this is radio, you know. Sure, we're gonna describe it. Yeah, it's like they have leggings on it, whereas normally she would just have like tights, right? Where like you know, very very short tights. Yeah, I think she had doesn't she just kind of has shorts, right? Like a yeah, little shorter, it's like barely even shorts. Yeah, you know? like it's, it's just just underwear, Superman, but doesn't have the thing underneath right. it or whatever. Right. But I could obviously see the licensing problem here. Yes. Wonder Lady. Correct. I only know a Wonder Woman. I don't know a Wonder Lady. I don't know who this Wonder Lady girl is. I mean, she I don't know. Maybe she's like Wonder Woman's like cousin or something. Twin. A twin. Wonder Woman's twin. Maybe her twin. I'm sure the comic's going to come up with this. With different fashion sense, perhaps. They're know. not even going to sue on the Wonder Woman claim. They're going to sue on, like, we were going to think of Wonder Lady and you took it from us. Oh, my God. They're going to come like, up with so documents. many. Yeah. But uh, there's other ones, right? Like, um... Oh, my favorite was the the Poison Ivy one. The, it's... Where is it? The Poisonous Villain? Poisonous Villain costume. And it's... Oh, my. What a costume. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like sequin like green short dress with something like a arm sleeves like sort of sequin sleeves and this big orange wig i guess probably comes with it and uh oh my god the darth vader one ruthless galactic warrior costume you know i was looking at that one and i didn't understand what it was about okay I but guess do you that's see it darth now vader a little costume. bit i think that's what I it is do see it and I, I will I, also say, yes, it's Darth Vader. It's now definitely we, we, Darth Vader. They have the little it's the front piece. thing, and he's got a cape. Yeah. Gotta have the cape. Always gotta have the cape. Yeah. But I guess he was ruthless. He was But he pretty... was conflicted, though. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot going on. This should be, like, conflicted husband, uh, lost his children costume. Oh, or man. Something. What about the Catch Me Honey costume? Oh my gosh, yeah, we this will one's give great too. Audiences a minute now. Okay, so this is um, uh, okay. It's the Pikachu costume. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very uh, culturally relevant for anyone who played Pokemon Go this summer. Um, uh, 
Although, you know, I have to say, those ears are bunny ears. They're just straight up bunny ears that are yellow with, with black at the top. Although I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a counter argument to the, we we both decided like it's right for these trademark holders to bring an action and say like, oh, we should be the ones to license it. You oh, know, yeah. Right? And stuff like that. But here we go. So I'm gonna be Beetlejuice. Yes. And as you know from the film, Winona Ryder's character, mm-hmm. the Beetle Bride costume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when have you ever seen that costume sold in a store? Oh, my. Well. Probably never. Probably pretty much never. Maybe in the 90s. I don't really know when the movie first came out. Because you always see when the movie first comes out. Right. You have a lot of the costumes. So, if somebody want, didn't want to make it, they didn't want to put their own sweat into the costume, as you were saying, it's like a labor of love, it's mm-hmm. very difficult. There is a market for this. Is it right that the trademark holder could just say, no, we're not going to make that costume because it's not feasible for the market. But we don't want you making your own or like another person making a professional copy and then selling it for commercial purposes. Could you, should there be a regime of like a compulsory licensing, kind of like music idea? Interesting. So for, like, the character, for anything at all. Because it's like, right, let's say, you know, I'm not going as a couple to the Fordham Halloween party or Halloween or something like that. But, I, you know, I want to go as Beetlejuice for the rest of my life, obviously. I don't, I'm a conservative. I don't like to change things. I'm joking. It's, it's your but, Halloween costume. But it's like, you know, if I had a significant other and they wanted to go as, like, that would be the couple costume, Beetle Bride. I don't think I've ever even seen that. That I think I've a, seen somebody make it. That would be cool. I don't think I've seen anyone, like, I've never seen that in a store until now looking here. I know. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like, it's not, as we were saying earlier, something infringing right. or disparaging. I don't think this is. Is there an argument that there's no way somebody would bridge this gap of, like, making a costume that no one, that the license holder doesn't want unless there was some commercial gain to be had? They don't want to just give it away for free. Is this right? To not allow anyone to, to make it To not allow anyone all. to do it. And is the right, the way that I'm proposing is they just give some royalty or feedback to the license holder. But then I think the, then I think the problem with that then becomes like. As long as it's not disparaging. To, to, but I think. To have a compulsory license. To have a compulsory license, I think, especially like, I think about the community that makes these costumes and to to set that kind of like hurdle to make any kind of costume like that like if you were just gonna go to an event dressed as like bride of beetlejuice and you wanted to make a costume like that to require that that person necessarily get a license just to make that costume no see i don't i don't think it's the make i think it's it's for those lazy people out there that don't want to make the costume want someone else to make it for them and they're willing to pay a price for it Uh, do you think that's okay as long as the original license holder receives something or should the license holder have the right not i'm not going to call them a troll but in terms of like no we don't see that. Nobody's going to buy the costume. There's going to be such a small market of people. Because how old is Beetlejuice? And really, I don't I don't think I've... I, I do remember seeing somebody dress as, let's say, Winona Ryder's character. But mm-hmm. it's very rare. Right. So it's like, it's not really feasible for the market. 
but certain websites may find it feasible. And that's why they would do it. Yeah, well, and then I guess, but then I wonder, like, where, where does it stop? Like, what if I, what if I, like, paid, you know, like, a family friend to make a costume for me, you know? And then it's like, they have gained from, you know, they're doing, they're performing the service, but they're clearly designing this item that looks like, I just, I don't know, I think it can get, I think it could get trickier depending on the structure of the company that was out there making these costumes. So anyway, um, stay tuned because turns out this term, the Supreme Court, is actually handling a case that sort of tackles a lot of these sort of issues regarding uh, garments and clothing and the severability of certain design concepts. I believe it's the Star Athletica case um, it just went up, uh, and I think the briefs have been filed. And actually, what I found was really interesting. Um, well, two things. Uh, so Chosen, they actually filed an amicus brief. Um, of course they did. Which, of course they did. <laughs> they were like, you guys, our case, like, basically talked about this exact thing. But they, they sort of said that... Um, they wanted the court to deal with, like, the severability issue and basically to clarify it because it's really not clear right now. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, the Fordham Fashion Law Institute also filed an amicus brief. Buzz marketing for Fordham Fashion Law Institute, guys. Uh, Professor Scafidi, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, t- I didn't get through the whole thing, but I got to say really awesome basically talking about we need to give protection um to designers uh and there's a there's a lot at stake it's really interesting it's it's very cool case talking about cheerleading uniforms um and the design elements of cheerleading uniforms and whether you can separate them so we'll see what happens with that okay so i guess we figured everything out with the costume. Is there any other advice you want to give about Halloween events, Halloween parties? Anything? Well, not Halloween legal parties. Advice, just in general. I was going to we say saw on, like different websites. Well, professional responsibility. Uh, Anthony, I yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm, I'm taking it. I learned it's like one of the first advice. things we learned. I told my dad. He was just like, "Are you sure?" And then I think he asked like a couple of his lawyer friends, and they were like, "She's right, you know." Hey, I passed the NYLE, taking the MPRE. So I got this down. We this know- is I'm actually studying right now. This is how this is how we study. It's all gelling together yes. now. So um, so I think any tips? <laughs> any tips about the parties? <laughs> um, I mean, I think. Well, I remember. I remember one thing that I know I saw in the news was there was I think like a bar that was hosting, like a Harry Potter themed party. Harry Potter. Harry Harry Potter. <laughs> I don't want to do. I can't. I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself trying to do a British accent, a la Harry Potter, on this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, and I think they they basically got into all sorts of trouble because, um, you know, they were they were profiting off of the use of Harry Potter. You're free riding off. of They're the free riding, idea. yeah, and you can't do that. So, I would say maybe. Just be careful 
uh, and have fun. But also, you never know. You never know what kind of channels uh, some of these event organizers go through, whether they're, you know, above board with all of the right groups. I mean, it's really interesting. Maybe Warner Brothers is just a little bit more litigious. I know there's a, there was a big Harry Potter case in copyright about, like, the encyclopedia that was mm-hmm. made by a fan. So maybe that's the particular instance, because I know last weekend... I kept seeing all these advertisements for a Stranger Things, like, theme party Oh, in New yeah, York. yeah, yeah. I don't think, like, Netflix was behind that. No. So I... it's, like, very interesting. Is that okay? Because there was, like, 10,000 people interested. Yeah, and I actually saw something else, too. I think it was in, like, Time Out New York was, like, an advertisement for this, I think it's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air-themed, like, 90s Halloween party. Oh. Basically. Which... I gotta say, sounds real fun. I'm sure that party is a great party. I don't know anything about it except that it's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air themed. <laughs> but I, you know, I, it occurred to me, like, I wonder, I'm almost positive they didn't go and check and make sure that, like, you know, the people associated with Fresh Prince are cool with this. Yeah. But... Whether that's an issue for people who are attending the party, I would say probably not. <laughs> no, it's an issue for the ho- like for the hosts. hosts. Yeah. yeah. And I would say like if it's an apartment or something and it's like you're keeping it closed to the public, more yeah. private, I don't think you have anything to worry. It's the same thing as, you know, your family member making a costume for right. you. Yeah. But when it's an establishment, like here it was a bar, there's obviously some free riding going on. I know they do it with Star Wars a lot, or like Walking Dead. They're always trying to throw those like theme oh, there's things, so many. you know. Uh, but very interesting. Now we're gonna segue a little bit and go into just an interesting copyright case having to do with everybody's favorite horror film, Friday the Thirteenth. So now, very nice. Nobody, nobody's respecting Jason though. Nobody respects Jason. I don't think. Which, like, I mean, he's. Bad guy. I mean, like, you know, I always say your trilogy of those types of films is you got Friday the 13th, Jason, mm-hmm. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, yes. Freddy, yes. and then uh, Halloween with Mike Myers. You know, the guy that played Shrek. Right. Yeah, yeah no, I, yeah. I, I'm familiar with Mike Myers yeah. and, great. and his canon of works. Uh, but, <laughs> but there's an interesting thing here where I believe it's one of the screenwriters... Uh, Victor Miller, is attempting to terminate a copyright grant on the 1980 horror film. And this is going into the weeds of copyright law. Uh, I believe the 76 Act is one of the big uh, copyright revisions, you know, that made the current state of copyright law that we have now, and they changed the whole um, terms that we got into in another podcast. We don't have to remind everybody about that. But... The main thing here was they recognized some authors signed over their rights to publishers and studios without much of the bargaining power. So they did lengthen the copyright term, but they said, all right, we're going to allow some of these authors to reclaim their rights when it's later on. So sometimes I believe it's like 35 years before you can cancel the rights if you felt like you were uh, taken advantage of or something like that. So here, I believe... Victor Miller himself has actually, you know, done this before with other different films, but he's saying that it wasn't a work for hire. 
one of the main pieces of evidence that he's using is that he didn't have any, like, contract, any actual document that mm -hmm. said it was a work for hire. Now, taking a copyright course, I don't feel like that's a very strong argument. I think he has to prove a lot more and show, you know, that he was, let's say, like, what do you call it? He was an independent contractor and he was in control of what he wrote. That he wasn't yeah. being told by the studio, you have to do this, you have to do that. Now, Miller hired an attorney, Mark Toberoff, and he has done these battles before with both Superman and Lassie. So it's very interesting that he's bringing, I'm assuming, the same arguments with his work made for hire. One of the big cases is CCNV, where they made this distinction between an independent contractor would have a copyright, whereas if you're an employee, you would be the same as a work for hire. Right. Now, the advice there, tip, not advice, you should get everything in writing. You should have a contract. Oh. If this is a work for hire, make sure it says work for hire. But I feel like courts, more often than not, will side with the uh, big movie studios and stuff like that because it seems like they usually have final say at the end of the day. Well, and also, I think, like, especially in a situation like this where... I mean, Miller is basically trying to to wrest this whole, you know, category of... I, I mean, it's really the cat... It's like all the films, right? I mean, it's Friday the 13th. I mean, is it all of the other ones, too? It's just that one? That's a good question. I would assume they're all derivative works. Because they're all kind of related of to each other. They're all the same characters, right? So I mean, then, when you really think about it, I guess they may have come up with the idea, because I always find a lot of these horror films to be sense of fair. That it's always like a lot of the same elements that you see and they're not copyrightable at all. So, I mean, Jason is notorious for that. Because as you're saying with the sequels, a lot of them follow the same format. Yeah. They sometimes change something up and like put them in, you know, space or something like that. But it's always like a certain character dies, you know, first. A certain character does something. You have the jock, you know, you have the good girl, damsel in distress. And I would say if he wins this, there's going to be some monetary claim to the sequels. Not now, right? But like future. Like if there's another sure. DVD or a Blu-ray release or who knows, 4K, whatever it is, maybe a oh. 3D, 4D re-release. I don't even know what the new one. Yeah, 4K is or 4K. Jason costumes. Yeah. We're, you know the circle of time he that we have here. He's just gonna license all of it out and just make all the money off of it. Yes, exactly. But that's the. But that's what I was. So that's like kind of where I was going with this, though. It's like, um. If he is successful, um, this is a big money grab for him as the writer of this movie. I mean, I feel like this has so many... I, think it, I mean, obviously it depends on like the facts, and, and I think it, a lot of it probably, at least from where I'm looking at this, depends on whether he was, you know, the whole work-for-hire thing and the independent contractor thing. Because, you know, and then... It, if you think about, like, all these companies that produce sort of apps and creative items and, you know, it's worked into their contract, you make it and it belongs to the company. And I think with here, it's like, this is such a, I think, potential for precedent. Like, if they were to allow, to allow him to take it back, that's just, 
you know, you're costing the studio, like, a ton of money. In I mean, yes. You would feel like they, they thought they were so secure for so many years. But I understand why it's there. That they're saying, let's say, like, especially a screenwriter or something like that, didn't understand either the contract he was signing or, which in this case there seems like there was none that explicitly said he lost the copyright, or he just didn't understand how the copyright was getting taken away from him. Yeah. He didn't understand the law totally. So they tried to remedy it, but it was done in maybe a sloppy fashion because it's like they're almost treating like a patent where you get like 35 years. So let's say like a patent, you get 20 years. So it's like, why are they giving 35 years? And then you create this whole legal battle on facts. This is very factual that it's like how much control did he have and all this stuff 35 years later. So it's like you have so many evidentiary concerns. Yeah, there's a lot. This is a really, really tricky one. And then I think, wasn't there sort of like a petitioning issue too? There were so many, there were so many issues I just thought in this particular case. Like, I mean, like Jason's going to kill you too. Well, that's That's the worst part. That's the... You can't go to a camp. You can't go to like, I mean, at least it's not like Nightmare on Elm Street. Because then it's like you can't. You can't go to sleep. You literally can't go to sleep. Because he'll just kill you then, because he's like, I own the copyright. Oh my <laughs> Something God. like that. You know, that's it. Freddy would actually make that joke, because he's very self-aware, like a Deadpool-type character. I don't I don't think Jason talks. I'm not even sure. He says, like, one word. It's astonishing. Uh, yeah, I, you know? yeah. <laughs> so I think this was a very spooky podcast. <laughs> you know, uh, we've got an interesting thing. I believe it's the Patent and Trademark Office, right? That's yeah. running it. Where if you know of any creepy IP, you want to use hashtag creepy IP. Creepy? So it creep? you, the, they do the series Creepy IP. Creepy IP, okay. The USPTO does creepy IP. Um, and with that hashtag, a lot of people put up different ones. So they were giving some certain examples. You have... The trademark for Ghostbusters, obviously, but some people may not know there's a sound mark for Darth Vader. You know, his breathing. I did not know that. So, I mean, like, maybe sometimes it falls under fair use when we do it on podcasts or something like that, but there is an actual sound mark. Uh, There's a patent for a winged suit to fly away from a burning building. Just very important. That's that's very interesting. You need Uh, that. And a patent for vampire-shaped pasta. I would not give that a patent, personally, but... I don't, I guess somebody, that sounds like a trademark thing, something like that. I guess it's to make the vampire-shaped pasta, but I mean, I would assume there's a lot of, like, Walking Dead trademarks and a lot of creepy IPs out there, but if you have one you want to talk about, just put hashtag creepy IP and join the conversation on Twitter. Um, you could also follow us, Fordham IPLJ. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Anything to plug? Uh, not especially. You got a uh, blog post. Oh, I do. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. So um, I just posted an article uh, on the IPLJ blog, um, and it talks about uh, craft beer and craft uh, breweries and essentially all the trademark issues they've been having, which there's a whole lot of them. In fact, um, there's actually... Uh, some lawyers coming out of the woodwork now and 
branding themselves as craft beer attorneys, Ooh. which, Anthony, I don't know about you, but I'm like, that sounds like a pretty sweet gig. Like, No lie, definitely. Honestly, want to explore career options in this area because it seems, I mean, it really does seem interesting. Entertainment law is overrated when you got the beer uh, yeah, displayed. Oh my God, totally. It's, no, but it's, it's awesome and it's very interesting just reading up um, everything I, I read to put it together. So if you have a moment and you want to check it out, um, the IPLJ blog. Yes, uh, FordhamIPLJ.org. Um, so that's going to be everything for us. Have a happy Halloween as this will be posting on Halloween. Happy Halloween, uh, everybody. Bye. Bye.